Hello everyone and welcome once again to How to Pakistan. I'm here with none other than the great Musharraf Zaidi. And Musharraf, hope you're all well and thank you as ever for inviting me to be on the program. Uh, thank you for finally picking up the phone and, <laughs> uh, and joining us. I know that we've been uh, off air for a bit. I think uh, Eid, uh, Eid holidays. And then I think obviously what we saw uh, here last, uh, what is it now, three days ago? Yeah. Um, I think that tragedy in Mustung probably prompted us to get together and yeah. and have a quick chat about it. Yes. How, I mean, what did you what did you think? What was the were you surprised that at the body count and the and the scale of the destruction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think I'm guilty as anyone when I first heard and you put these things at the back of your mind because they're so far away and then slowly as it became evident at just the scale at which that human tragedy is. It's interesting because so much was happening at that particular point in time that there was one of those unfortunate things where there's other competing things for attention. But um, it's interesting. I, 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 I often wonder, I mean, I think we met just a couple of days ago, and one of the questions then I have is that um, there's a lot about, like, you know, we need to be covering this, but at the same time, is that what can you say about it other than sympathy? Because so much around security issues, around these kinds of performance, have effectively become no-go areas. And um, so anyhow, so I mean, that's one of the things that has come to mind. Because I find it interesting. So many people say we should be giving more attention to this. But the kind of space about even responsible discussion has effectively been declared, uh, you know, no go. You know, uh, so I, if you if you don't mind, I think what I'll what I'll do is, and I tried to pull this out yesterday because I was thinking about why, you know, what makes a place no go. Um, I mean, one obvious answer is if somebody says you can't go there, then yeah. it's, it's no go. I don't know if Mustung or even any of the sort of former FATA agencies. I mean, of course, there was always a an imposed restriction. But, you know, there's lots of places in Sin, for example, that are not, so to speak, no-go officially. Yeah. But that are scary, that people are worried about, you know, decoits and worried about being kidnapped, and, you know, so they, so they won't go there. Yeah. And there's not, not a lot to do. You know, people go to places because there's some somebody to meet or something to do. Um, why would somebody go to... I mean, at least why would somebody who listens to this podcast go to Kambarshadatko, unless mm-hmm. they're from there? Why would somebody have gone to Avaran or to Kohistan, unless, you know, work took you there? Um, or there was some sort of a compulsion um, that, that kind of took you there. So I, you know, what I decided to do, Fussy, was I thought I would look at the Human Development Index. And I really wanted to do it without being interrupted. <laughs> um, but uh, that's not always easy. Um, so okay, okay. if you look at... If you look at... Uh, the Human Development Index. Yeah. 
it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of wake up call because of course Mustung is not as well developed as some of our better yeah. to do areas but just how far back it is 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 amazing and you know we spoke to Adil Najam on on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago talking about the human development report and what he found and i think one of the one of the exchanges was about you know the kind of the kind of extreme differential between the haves and the have nots i think he likened our more developed cities to places in italy and spain and our less developed areas to sub-saharan africa and if you look at karachi islamabad lahore that's exactly what you find lahore is number 1 um on the human development index with a value of 877 um 0.877 and you know karachi is number 4 with 854 jhelum is number 6 with 829 but then you go down and you keep going down you keep going down and mustung is number 76 and it's at 0.459 so it's literally a different world yeah um and so of course the lament that you express is valid what are you going to say other than you feel bad about it you're literally you and i are literally foreigners yeah to mustu yeah and this divide is not one that is a divide of our choice So you know there's now there's so many new devices in our in our discourse uh, most are meant to delegitimize and and take away your sense of ownership and and authority moral authority over your own country and your own people and one of them is of course what do you know you know sitting in in your cocooned existence and that's both true but also i think enforced how how, how were we going to have any access to musto yeah what has happened in the 70 year history and i'm not 70 years old so i'm not responsible for for the entirety of the history what what has happened in that 70 year history that has enabled or or uh, you know connected people like you and i to places like mustong yeah very little so how do we i mean i guess the real question you know for me the the lament is also i think we've done this on this podcast so many times uh, you know i think we're just we're just fresh out of like like lament energy yeah, yeah. i mean i don't I, i know that sounds awful yeah people are still mourning uh, i'm pretty sure uh, there's wounds that are not even close to healing like literally physical wounds yeah. that are still fresh but for people like us beyond the lament i think it's a really interesting and i think vexing question as to okay so so we feel bad and we say we feel bad and you know i had a little bit of a incident um not an incident but i i really as 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 you are right now have felt quite awful the, yeah. the entire weekend and um I insisted, you know, in, in terms of television appearances this weekend that I was only going to talk about this that I didn't want to talk about other stuff. But, you know, that was on like Friday night, Saturday, Saturday morning and by essentially by Sunday afternoon, uh we were all gearing up for the World Cup final. Yeah. And the conversation had moved on. 
No, I agree. I think... So, I mean, my look into this is somewhat like this. Is I found it interesting when people said we need to discuss Mustang more. We need to cover the scale of the human tragedy. But the question is, if you did discuss Mustang, there's so much that you have to put into it. It's the most heavily securitized province in the country. It's interesting that we've had the equivalent of a mission accomplished, which is Dashat Gardoki Kamar Toot And now that both involves sacrifice, that it's involved real effort. The question also is whether there's still things such as good, bad, militant, what has and has not been achieved. And now the only way to move forward on this, and then you've got people that you who are not on board, who've got, you know, whether it's separatists, whether it's people who are just unhappy with the state, and the only way something like this can be resolved is actually through more openness, through concessions, through an acknowledgement of what's gone wrong. And when people talk about let's do more about Mustung, I'm not exactly sure that's always that that they're asking for. That, you know, it's um, maybe a, a greater expression of condolences. It's a greater expression of sympathy, which, by the way, also has an effect. I, I remember one of the most interesting, I can't remember exactly where, but I think it was one of the bombs in Paratchinar, and one of the people from Paratchinar was saying, it's like, you know, this whole model town thing drives us crazy. And what was the reason? Is that that's sufficient to bring the country to a standstill, that's sufficient to be discussed for years on end, and that for us, you know, it's literally a three-hour window where it's relevant. And so I think, yeah, so there is a, there's a definite need for being more compassionate, more understanding. But actually, where this province or where places like this go from here um, is a really big question, and I don't see necessarily the space for it. Because I also think that Balochistan now, at least from its formal structures, has a very definitive use that's been put into play. We've seen it in the Senate elections. I don't see that you know, going anywhere. I think probably that's been true for 10 years now but it's become even more ardently useful. Look, there's a, there's a lot to say, and luckily we're not Gio or Don yet. Yes. Um, and, and so I think we have, I mean, I always feel privileged at the amount of freedom that at least you and I have uh, yes. enjoyed in this country, despite some challenges to it. Uh, we're very privileged, without uh, a doubt. Yeah, but so, so let's, let's just go through sort of at least let's go through the overarching motions of a, of a thorough conversation. Yeah. Violence in Balochistan, where does it come from? It comes from a feeling of alienation, disaffection. It comes uh, from a very strong history from... Typical lefty friggin' sympathizer. From, from actually, 47. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't... Let's not do the whole history thing. Fine. Yeah. Not because it's not important. Yeah. Because if there's any genuine sincereness to our sense of solidarity with yeah. our beloved brothers and sisters, we can't ignore we can't ignore legitimate grievance. Yeah. Violence in Balochistan today comes from broadly four places. The first is Baloch discontent. Yeah. 
as soon as I start talking about substantive things, <laughs> Fussy has decided to point at the screen and and highlight the fact that there's only three percent left. Yes. Um, so let's hold that thought while we uh, try to um, mobilize some power, some real power. We've got ten thousand megawatts into the system. It should be able to spare some juice. Inshallah, baby. Yeah. There you go. You heard Great. The, you heard the click. Yeah. Okay. So how do you know you didn't disconnect the wrong mic? Should we should we bring the viewers into what the 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 the, the, the disaster that is okay, our okay. technology? He's done it right. Yes. So I don't know if viewers uh, viewers listeners can hear the improvement in sound quality. Rest assured, it's not because of new equipment, although two new mics have been purchased. Yes. Um, we now are looking at a total of three yeah. plus... <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, three plus... Uh, I didn't spray you there, did I? No, no. Because you made like a <laughs> winced. All right. I no, apologize. I was just thinking of... Uh, we've got energy so we can brighten the screen. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Um, we have... Uh, I think we have seven different mics. Yes. And yet, uh, the previous episode was the disaster that the it was. Disaster that also, is. I'm not seeing these lines, and I'm not feeling whether or not this is actually recording properly or not. Let's hope it is. Yes. So, four key sources of violence in Balochistan. Let's start with your favorite, the military. Yeah. The FC and, and the military and the intelligence community conduct... Uh, series of operations, including some that are controversial because of the manner in which uh, they are seeking to arrest the slide of uh, the province into chaos or anarchy. So obviously we're talking about disappearances and things like yeah. that. So certainly the state is an enactor of violence. Yeah. Uh, intelligence, FC, army, police, yeah. whatever part of the state you want to talk about. Yeah. Now, why is the state exercising violence because essentially there are in my mind three challengers to the state's monopoly over violence there's the uh, what I call terrorists Baloch separatist terrorists yeah there's the what is a slightly lighter version of the same thing that isn't as robust that that, that aren't terrorists necessarily but that still commit acts of violence yeah and then there's of course the religious uh, extremists that commit violence Jangvi, those guys yeah I mean Lashkari Jangvi slash Daesh is what it's called today yeah. but a lot of these people um, used to be I mean you think about where like how did Lashkari Jangvi from Jung yeah. end up in Quetta yeah killing sort of mountain you know uh, sons and daughters of Genghis, Genghis Khan. Yeah. Right? Like, how did the Hazaras get into the cross crosshairs yeah. of the Lashkar e Well, partly, if your enemy is the Shia, you want to be closest to the border, that if you have a greater ambit of ambition, that you'd do something cross-border. So you'd have to have I guess what some I'm presence trying, I guess there. what I'm trying to say yeah. is, how did a local, essentially a local uh, militant movement yeah. in Chak metastasize into the kind of national embarrassment and, and, and yeah. the kind of toxicity that the LEJ represents 
let's not forget what the LEJ became. The LEJ was the platform factory of the alphabet soup of terrorists in Pakistan yeah. in our dark days of terrorism between 07 and 14. Yeah. Uh, the entirety of the TTP's capacity was built on the back of the LEG's, yeah. LEJ's skills. The idea was that killing Malik Ishaq would be enough to quell the, the potency of the LEJ. Yeah. But some people allege that part of the reason the LEJ is still around in, in Balochistan is because of the uh, offset that it provides in response to the Baloch separatist terrorist groups. So, these four sources of violence represent, essentially, all four of them represent political challenges. And if you look at the quantum or the sophistication of the political response, it's virtually non-existent. People say there's not enough development. I make that argument. Just just right now, I, I gave you the statistics on the Human Development Index. I made an appeal for Balochistan residential colleges, many more than, than the ones that exist right now. Yeah. That really is potentially what we've identified at Alif Alan as a, as a potential game changer for Balochistan. Mm. Residential high school, essentially, yeah. that enables girls and boys to receive a reasonably high-quality education. Yeah. Uh, it's not Shoifat or, you know, uh, Lagos, but, yeah. but it's, it's as close as you're going to get in Balochistan yeah. in, in short order. But that's not really fundamentally going to be... You can build those schools and you may still have all four of these sources of violence continuing to pulverize the province. And the reason is that the violence exists because of unresolved political questions. And I think that when I... The reason I kind of run out of breath and, and get even more depressed is that I just don't see any sophistication of political discourse in Balochistan or across the country beyond what I would call the, the for me what was the great Shabash Sharif moment you know I mean I'm, I'm known to be partial to the man uh, I'm not sure that I'm I'm as partial as as, as you might think I am <laughs> but, but one of the reasons I am partial is because in the NFC of 2010 the National Finance Commission so just to explain what the yeah. NFC is the NFC is kind of the it's the institutional mechanism by which Pakistani provinces get together and decide how much of the total pie, the national revenue pie, the provinces will get and how much the federal government in Islamabad will get. And then within that, the question of how much each province will get. And for me, the thing that, that really impressed me and, and, in a sense, put Shabash Sharif on my radar as, as kind of a potential nation builder and a statesman was the Punjab's willingness to cede space on its share in favor of Balochistan in the run-up to the 2010 National Finance Commission Award. A, we haven't had the 2015 award, so we're now almost four years late on the next NFC. And B, it isn't, as I just said, it isn't just about building more colleges or spending more money in Balochistan. You have to have to address the political questions that give birth to the conflict, even though the conflict is birthed inorganically and everything, but now there is a Shia Sunni question in Balochistan. And we have to, somebody has to have the the balls to stand up and say, these are all brothers and sisters and we're going to get along and if you don't, we're going to develop a legislative program that's going to punish you for not 
allowing the society to grow. Or any other resolution, which is that we're too different, we can't get along, and we're building a new sort of, you know, a new enclave. And you can't live there if you're not from this, you know, group. Whatever the actual solution is, and I'm not endorsing one or the other, but there is no conversation about addressing the sectarian question. There's certainly not enough of a conversation addressing the the multifarious question of Baloch identity, which is not only are, are the Baloch, you know, oppressed, uh, they, I think there's no question given, given the status, human development status of Balochistan that they are. But the larger question is, that's not really the whole, the whole story with Balochistan. Balochistan mm-hmm. is, uh, is also a Pashtun province. Uh, Balochistan is also a province in which the class divide between Baloch Sardars and ordinary Baloch is extremely wide. Balochistan is also a province where there's been a quid pro quo between so-called nationalist parties like PK MAP and, and uh, national, uh, national Party and BNP and the state. And it's only when there's a breakdown in that quid pro quo that suddenly you see these, you know, these, these movements emerge. So is the negotiation between the elites... The, the, the khaki elite and the Balot Sardar elite and the Pekimap elite, is that negotiation going to cost lives uh, you know, over, over half a decade, a decade, a decade and a half without actually talking about the real fundamental identity uh, matrix in Balochistan? I think, to me, that's where I run out of breath because I just... Can you name a leader who, who's capable of tackling this? I mean, I like Jam Kamal. But Jam Kamal is the grandson of, of another Jam. I mean, they've been in power for now. It's, if he's the chief minister, which it looks like he's all set to be, he's going to be the third generation of Jam that's in that in that job. Could it be Sardar Akhtar Mengel? I mean, again, I like what he's saying. You know, I like I, I like what he represents. He's got great people in his party. People like Sanal Lablot, certainly sort of worth talking to and taking forward. But. But again, Sardar Akhtar Mengel has had a go at being chief minister. What did he deliver? Is it uh, is Bob really a solution? I mean, Jam Kamal is going to come in as Bob. But, you know, is the establishment stitching together, you know, some sort of a narrative and a coalition the answer? Or is the JUIF, you know, ultimately the answer? Like, you don't go, you don't go ethnic at all. Just hand it over to the religious right wing. Uh, again, it's not an endorsement of any of those options. But we're... When's the last op-ed you read on this? Almost never. When's the last TV show you, you saw on these Very issues? Rarely, yeah. so, so, so that, I think, in fairness to the people that are asking for more coverage, if you look at the Panama Papers and how much dissection there's been of that, and all good, right? Like, whether I agree with it or you agree with it, I mean, so much has been written and spoken mm-hmm. about the Sharif's wealth. It, it's not an unexplored area. And the outcome is that they're sitting in jail. Again, you agree with the outcome or not, but but that's a substantial outcome. That's the product of a political discussion, notwithstanding the fact that it was triggered by an external kind of an endogenous, uh, an exogenous, uh, you know, event. Event, but, yeah. but it's still, you know, it's been discussed. We're not discussing Balochistan with any kind of sobriety or seriousness. Hmm. I mean, I think that part of the problem is. Um, in areas, so, so I mean, I don't mean necessarily because I agree with all the other points. It's a very complex issue. But I have seen, like, where we've got Fatah, it's the same problem. Uh, in one respect that you've got a new power group, which was the PTM, you know, effectively you couldn't discuss it. You've got Balochistan, and if you're going to discuss it right now, you've also got an inordinate amount of informal power residing with an institution. 
and if you're going to also be dis if you actually genuinely want to discuss it then that power is also open to dismissal because then you'll have the formal structures taking over once Wait, again so you really think that if you basically let's say we take away the powers of the FC and the army in Balochistan, that that's going to result in the politicians being empowered? No, that's going to be one of the things that is going to partly start the discussion. Right now, honestly, if you're going to discuss this genuinely, if you, if, 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 look, in any dialectic, even though if we have a genuine dialectic and we come back, I think in all likelihood, we're going to still need a heavy security contingent once you have like 20, 30 years of this thing, you're not going to just say, okay, you guys, you know boys, security is what I say? What? Security is what I say that we aren't going to be the guard dogs of a bunch of corrupt politicians and sardars. Right. And to, the, to, the, to that that's point. That's hugely that problematic. Is, that, that, that's, that, that dismissive view is also one of the problems. Well, it's not just problematic from the viewpoint perspective. It also assumes that our security establishment is pristine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's one of the huge problems. That that's partly. But here's the, the other problem, problem of the back and forth of but what this nation has seen over seventy years. Of course, right? I mean, and one of the great problems is that this just doesn't resolve itself anymore. Well, what's the Democrats' answer? Yeah, right. Like, okay, so so they're saying we don't want to be guard dogs for the, for corrupt politicians. Is is it good enough for us to say no? You have to be because that was that's what the Constitution says. Because guess what. We are in Trump land. You realize that, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at At least the, this past week, it's no, no, definitely no, no. true. Nanny, it's, it's not past week. Yeah. I think people like you and I are a little bit... Uh, you know, I thought that we were modern. I mean, you know, with it, music music. They have music. But sometimes when we talk, we, we sound like we're not built to deal with the 21st century. Yeah. The discourse has moved on from the Constitution and norms. Absolutely. The Chief Justice of the country is running like... It literally feels like like the onion some, yeah, some yeah. days, <laughs> right? And, and by the way, yeah. he has an enormous groundswell of public support yes, backing, yes. backing that behavior. Yeah. And that's what he's, that's what he's yeah. sort of playing to. That's a chief justice. Yeah. That's the seat that we fought for yeah. between 2007 and 2009. Yeah. Like, just to understand what's happening here. Yeah. So, so you can't just say no. The rules say that the guards are the guards and the decision makers are the decision makers. Yeah. And we'll resolve the corruption problem later because yeah. actually, people are right. That's bullshit. Yeah. We're not going to resolve the corruption problem later. Yeah. We've had 70 years and we haven't. Yeah. And, and notwithstanding the weakness of the 20, July 28th judgment, yeah. the harshness of the NAB uh, conviction, the fact is that there is a great sense of relief, even among neutrals, yeah. that Mariam Nawaz Sharif and her dad are getting to see what the insides of a jail is like. Yeah. You know, there was this tweet by, by Hussein that they haven't been given an air conditioner and a clean bed. Yeah. Forget jail. You've been to a public hospital in this country. Yeah. You have. Yeah. I have too. Yeah. Do you know what those sheets look like? They're terrible. Right. And that's like a hospital, not jail. Yeah. So the point is, there's a lot of people that make big decisions about the future of this country that literally don't know what it's like to be Pakistani. Yeah. It's funny coming from you and I, yeah. because we also don't really we know don't what it's really, like to yeah, be Pakistani. Yeah. Because the people that died in Mustung 
are also Pakistani. Yeah. And that is this Pakistani life. Yeah. This is how to Pakistan. But those people dying there is the Pakistani life. Now, I'll tell you one other thing. I find this very interesting because I agree with you in the sense that you can't appeal to, okay, what is the formality of what should be and what shouldn't be? There's, um, but one thing I have seen, and I think I've discussed this with you maybe a year ago, which was the way this whole Panama thing was coming about, and it was this fear that this is not going to end well in a kind of instability. And in that, I always have argued is that a lot of people have to take a step back. It's not just the military. It's also Nawaz Sharif. It's this degree of uncertainty does no one any good. And there's a... Ultimately, there are two things that can happen. And today, in a way, I sort of had a clarity. Is this zero-sum gamery where victory at any cost is actually coming at a very high cost that people aren't seeing? So when we talk about Balochistan also, it's whatever the perception may be, whether it's at the security end, whether it's at the civilian end, there's a recognition that there is, um, you know, this power imbalance. But at the same time, when you look down the future, right, 10, 20 years, it can't go on this way, right? It's just going to get worse and worse. Well, then prepare for it to get worse and worse, Fuzzy. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, it's been, it's been a rough, uh, rough couple of days. And I really don't believe in, in reinforcing negativity. I'm sometimes ridiculously optimistic about this country. Yeah. But I, I really, in this discussion, I, I don't see... Here's what I think can happen. I think we could grow at 8 or 10% a year. Yeah. Like, I think wealth in this country will, will, will explode. Yeah. But I don't think we're about to see a seriousness in terms of dealing with these issues. I'll tell you why. You said somebody has to take a step back, yeah. and a bunch of people have to take a step back. Almost always, the resolution of political challenges is is produced when the powerful take a step back exactly. in favor of the weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's been happening in Balochistan? Never happened. It's the it's the I mean when we hear stuff we hear you know even Brandag who's clearly enemy of the state yeah. my enemy you know no no, no question yeah. but when we hear rumors of like a potential breakthrough it's it's those guys that have, that have stepped back and rightly so if yeah. if, if somebody's promoting terrorism yeah. and they're committing to stop promoting terror I mean that's what we want yeah. but you you get the sen- you get the flow of what I'm saying I powerful and not willing to yeah. and and the reason I'm so committed to this idea is nothing to do with any any conversation or conflict within Pakistan yeah. the reason I'm committed so so deeply to the idea of the bigger party the more strong party mm-hmm. taking a step back is Kashmir and India yeah. We will never cede our position on Kashmir. I, I'm convinced of this. Yeah. And when this thing is eventually resolved, it'll be because there will be some degree of magnanimity yeah. and coherence in how India looks at Pakistan. Forget about Kashmir for a second. How India looks at Pakistan. Almost like, you know what? These guys really want to prove that they're a separate thing. Yeah. And they're going to keep poking us here and there. And they're never going to start talking talking about Kashmir. And guess what? We're going to have to let them. We're going to have to let these Pakistanis get it out of their system so that we can build this region. But we haven't seen that quality of leadership in India ever. Yeah. And I don't think we ever will. No, I agree with that absolutely. I Again, when it comes to India-Pakistan... One of the things that you're absolutely right is that if you want it solved, you're going to have to have greater concessions 
by the bigger party and the stronger party, and that applies equally well within Pakistan. And so, so the NFC in 2010 was an example of the Punjab being the bigger brother, yeah. right? Yeah. Institutionally, the army is going to have to, and, and I don't think it's possible. I mean, I just shared with you my views on sort of this evolution of the fifth generation warfare mindset. Yeah. I mean, once you're in a fifth generation warfare mindset, it's impossible to concede to the, to the, to the, to what you think is the adversary because everybody is the adversary. Yeah. Fifth generation warfare is total constant war with everybody. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an worry, exaggerated version but of But the it. worry of that is that what you're at war with sometimes turns out to be your own people who just have an opinion. And that particular opinion, as divisive and complex and messy as it is, is what results in the ultimate strength of nations. Because especially where you have a federation, I think that there is no other way around it. I think... I it's think the federal system is at, is at risk in Pakistan. I also think it's at risk. And I think it's at great peril to this country as well. Well, so that that's a question that I'm willing to entertain. Like, I think that federalists like you and I need to be able to conduct a debate. The, the big mistake of neoliberalism was the assumption that everything neoliberalism stood for was virtuous, and any debate about those virtues was in and of itself irrational and not worthy of entertaining. And yeah. that's what produced Trump. So if you and I refuse to discuss the 18th Amendment and federalism yeah. within a reasonable context with people who want to challenge it, and by the way, that's been our attitude. I mean, there's not one of us. You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we, we we don't we don't we don't tolerate conversations about federalism. Yeah, that's like the that's the the holy grail. You can't touch it. If you want to talk about it, you're like a Foji Pitu. Yeah. You're a Pindi boy. You're an idiot. Presidential system. You just want to ruin Pakistan. You just want dictatorship. That, that that's how we react to these. I questions. mean, I'm just I don't think I think. So I know what you're saying. I think the problem is that in sometimes discussing these things is that we've seen the full weight of history that has demonstrated to us the need for this. I don't think federalism has ever produced an existential issue for this country. Well, I think the problem is... I think the unitary form did. No, no, hold on. Yeah. That's your opinion. Yeah. And it may be mine, but there are very, very important people, including from, from the reporting... Yeah. the chief of the army staff yes. and the entirety of the senior military command yeah. who believed that federalism is a threat to this country. Yeah. So just the way in, you, in which you believe that a unitary form of government is a threat to this country, there's a lot of important people, more important than you and I, yeah. who believe that federalism is a threat to this country. What is that debate going to look like? If it's going to look like you're an agent, I'm not talking to you, you're an idiot, I'm not talking to you, if that's the exchange, yeah. guess who's going to lose the argument? Well, it's obviously the less powerful. But so, that, so I think that the less powerful have to be the smarter ones. I think we have to find a way of discussing these, these topics in a manner that engenders confidence and is about constructive building up of this country instead of giving people, feeding the frenzy of their insecurities. And I think Mastung is going to ramp up the degree of suspicion with which everything is seen in this country because the timing and the target and the body count all indicate that this was not an, just an attack on Mr. Raisani Shaheed or on the people of Mastung or on the Baluch people. 
this was an, a full frontal attack on the very idea of Pakistan. That's how it's going to be interpreted. And so, what is the reaction going to look like? Enemy, enemy, everywhere. Yeah. God help us. No, I agree. I think um, we're in a very, in a state of flux where uncertainty is high, where I think desire for control, going back to that sole idea of the unitary structure of where a top-down outcome is still achievable, is something that may even fall in line for a couple of years. But we've seen it. They're persistent, these issues. They need to be resolved. I found it really interesting that before the census came out, the Baloch were like really worried. And now this was almost one of the first issues that was intra-Baloch, right? It had nothing to do with the Federation. It had nothing to do with institutions. It was just about the fear that, you know, with all the conflict in the Baloch rural countryside, where they had effectively, they claimed, pushed a million people out into Sindh, which meant their numbers had fallen, that, you know, with Afghan refugees, with Pakhtuns, that they had swelled up. And it's interesting that, you know, this is one thing that I do find very interesting, is that sometimes in Pakistan, a suboptimal outcome keeps things in abeyance. If we look at this census, I mean, we haven't really had a chance to evaluate significantly, but what it didn't do was change the calculus significantly. I right? think much much at least much to my chagrin. Yeah. This census should have taken a more robust approach to urbanism. Yeah. And uh, it should have taken a more robust approach to areas like Balochistan and yeah. Pata. So so this is my point. This is what I'm saying is that But when, because it didn't yeah that's yeah, yeah. because it didn't what you found was that Conflict it, didn't escalate. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't uh, disrupt yeah. or or uh, dismant. The detente that's in place yeah. continued. Yeah, and again, is it, is it detente or detente? It's probably detente. Right? <laughs> no, because no, I, I, I I think this is the first time I mean, I've ever no. used spoken this word. So, um, but 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 my point being, like that's just it. That's interesting. That. That's also why you didn't have a census for 20 years. And that's also... Because nobody wants to upset the apple cart. Apple cart. That, that we've got this really tenuous grip on what it is that makes us live with one another. And that's why one of the reasons why even I fear what I see as engineered change is that it also evokes reaction. And then I'm also in the wrong places because I can't be in the status quo part, because that is also not sustainable. But anyhow, we're at interesting times, and I hope that interesting times do not become unfortunate times. Are you uh, willing to share with the listeners what the intent is for the rest of the week, running up to the yes. election? What we plan to do... Be careful, because yes. <laughs> this is recorded. Yes, but we plan to, hopefully, uh, other than... We'll try even on weekends, but we'll try to do a podcast every day till the elections. And we pray that there's a lot of room for cheeriness. There's a lot of unintentional comedy that we can all just uh, sort of lay back and enjoy this exercise. Inshallah. Um, I think just to close out on 
a slightly more somber note because this was, in a sense, dedicated to Mastung and to the victims, not just in Mastung but in Peshawar. Harun Bilo Shaheed and his family, and the remarkable resilience and bravery of young uh, Daniel Bilor, uh, Mona Bilor, the whole family and their their yeah. sort of Summer struggle. Bilor. Summer Bilor. Yeah. Um, the attack in Bannu on Akram Durrani and his convoy. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever political differences we might have, Akram Lala is a Pakistani, is a former chief minister. We don't have to like every politician to feel a sense of solidarity with our fellow countrymen and people who take risks to go out and represent our brothers and sisters from all around the country. And then, of course, uh, the victims of uh, this attack in Mastung. I just want to add one thing. I think it's very interesting that you just said that about Akram Durrani. And I also think that, you know, sometimes we say this is that no matter who your opponent is, do not sanction or say justifications for what happened against them. It's interesting, like, you know, what happened, uh, you know, whether it's throwing of shoes, whether it's... Because actually those political conventions that we all believe in that compromise the rules of the game, that those are Pakistan's assets. But also that, you know, like even... That's let's what see, culture even the people is. who who call us names, yeah. who are re- like, let's say, Imran Khan supporters, who are yeah. really, really passionate, who are convinced that you and I are on the take. Yeah, like I don't. I mean, they're my, they're my baby brothers and sisters. Like, yeah. I, you know, they they disagree with with how I state my my positions yeah. and how I understand this country, and that's fine. Yeah. But why would we? Like Imran Khan is their leader, and so yeah. yeah, once in a while, you know, we take a shot or whatever, and God knows he deserves it. Yeah. But but the point is that he's he's a Pakistani leader. He like yeah. he's my people's leader. He's yeah. not my leader, yeah. but he's my people's leader. Yeah. Those are my, so so how could we? So same with Akram Durrani with yeah. Maulana, Maulana Fazlur Rahman. Exactly. Why would why would we disown? It, how can we divorce our own brothers and sisters? Like yeah. you could, it's not it's not an option yeah. to not be in with with other Pakistanis. Yeah, I agree. So anyhow, and so I just hope, so I found that, you know, interesting because I sometimes think that it might make you feel good today, but you'll regret it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the option is between venting and not venting, always, always choose not venting Yeah. because the toxicity of what you vent out and where it goes, you don't know how far it's going to, it's going to travel. And that's not always something that even Fassi or I uh, adhere to. Yeah, I've lost my temper tons of times. Absolutely. And you regret it each time. You realize that in hindsight, I wish I was calmer. I wish I didn't say this, that. And then I think maybe as you grow older, uh, you start to fear for uh, what, you know, what we all have in the sense that there, uh, there's a lot that's going wrong. There's a lot, there's potential. I think where you really lose it sometimes is this fear that, so, so you know, like one of the things that I don't usually discuss, I've, you know, the whole foreign involvement in Pakistan, partly because I just see 90% of us self-sabotaging, Right. I think that basically everybody's a foreign agent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the most international and unpaid. Why are they the not collecting most, on? Well, this? I was going to say yeah. it's the most international labor market in the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chalo so, on yeah, that. I mean, it's good to hear you laugh. Yeah. I, I, I pray uh, Allah Taala blesses the people of Mastung and Banu and Peshawar with yeah, laughter in their lives soon enough and to heal their. Uh, their pain and their their suffering.
and uh, the best abode for the martyrs and the shohada uh, that were affected by those by those attacks. And of course, we pray for safety for for everyone ever and for everyone, but yeah. certainly on, in the run up to the election. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, and see you soon. Khuda Hafiz, everyone. Thanks for listening.